the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. How easy do we have it that none of us have risked our lives for the gospel? How hard do we work for the gospel? Have we ever been in prison for the gospel? Have we been that tested and approved in Christ? And I think about the list that he commends here, and I think very challenging for all of us to think about what would be said of us. If Paul were commending us in our church, and he listed 26 people by name, what would be the phrases that would describe us? This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Romans. Early believers in Christ faced many struggles. Paul himself suffered persecution and imprisonment. Despite this, he continued to preach the gospel and write letters to encourage believers in different churches. Today, Pastor Gary will challenge you through his message with Paul proclaiming thanks and accolades for fellow workers in Christ. They risked their lives, faced prison and poverty, and worked hard to build up the church. In this, they were tested and approved by Christ. How would Paul commend or challenge you today in your work for Jesus? At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Romans, chapters 15 and 16, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. written you quite boldly on some points as if to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So he uses some language here you know, he's not a priest, but he, but he says in a priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel. What was the role of the priest? The priest in the Old Testament was to represent God to man and represent man to God. And Paul is saying, in effect, what I'm trying to do is proclaim the good news of Christ so that the Gentiles, I might represent God well to them. And then as I pray for them and lift them up to the Lord, I might represent them to God in this kind of a priestly role here. He says that they might become an offering acceptable to God, and I want them to be saved, and I want that aroma to be pleasing to the Lord, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles 
to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. I love this about Paul. He's like, you know, I don't want to glory in anything except the fact that I just happen to be a vessel and God has done his good work through me in the lives of the Gentiles. He was always careful to give praise to God and to give glory to God where praise and glory were due. And he didn't want to touch any of it himself. You know, he understood. You look at the book of Acts. Remember when King Agrippa comes out to address the crowd in the book of Acts? And then his shining, glistening royal garments, the people ascribed unto him like he was a god. And they said, oh, look, you, look you're, you're a god. You're a god. And King Agrippa didn't denounce it. He just kind of accepted it. And then what did God do? God struck him dead right there. So, you know, Paul understands here, even though Romans is before all the events in Acts, Paul understands the general principle He's like, I'm not touching any of this glory. Glory all to God, except that I just happen to be a vessel in what I said and what I did. Now, he notes here in verse 19 that it was also accompanied by signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit. And Paul was that. He was one who was used by God in a way that by God's Spirit, Paul was able to do different miracles. He was able to, again, by the Spirit, not himself. He was able to heal the sick. There's a story about him raising the dead. And so Paul was used by the Lord in miraculous and powerful ways. Rest of verse 19, he says, So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. I love the fact that in America there's a church in every block, but... There's also sometimes the violation of this verse. Paul's like, I I was careful never to build on somebody else's foundation. I wanted to go where the gospel has not been heard. Because if somebody is doing it effectively in one area, I don't need to be there and duplicate the effort. I'll go somewhere else. I had a man come up to me after Wednesday night service about, I don't know, a year or more ago and told me that he was um, had resigned his position at another church here in the area, and that he was starting his own church. I said, oh, where are you going to start your own church? He goes, right here. And I just, I just quoted this verse from him. I said, brother, you are wanting to start a church in the backyard of the hand that fed you. You are leaving a church to plant a church in the same area. You know, that isn't even right. And I asked him, I said, does your previous senior pastor, does he... Does he like the idea that you're planning a church? He goes, no, not really. Probably because you're not reading Romans chapter 15. Verse 21, rather as it is written, those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand. And this is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. He says, because he's been busy going places where the gospel isn't. He says, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, which is an amazing thing. I mean, you know, I know the world wasn't as populated in Paul's day as it is ours, but he's basically saying, I've been so faithful in the different regions throughout Europe, Asia Minor, that there's nowhere else for me to go. So he's so effective in spreading the gospel. So he says, but now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, the church in Rome, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. Now, he's going to mention Spain again before the end of the chapter. And please note, we have no reference, either historically or biblically, that Paul ever made it to Spain. He had a desire to go to Spain, but we don't have any record that he actually ever got there. So he says to the church in Rome, and remember, he's writing this letter from Corinth, and he is on his way to Jerusalem, where he's going to deliver financial offerings to the church in Jerusalem. 
And so he's writing this letter to the church in Rome, and he says, I hope to come visit you. When I finish delivering the offerings in Jerusalem, I'm going to make my way to Spain. But he doesn't end up, that we know of, ever getting to Spain. That said, he does end up getting to Rome, but not the way that he had intended. I'll talk about it in a moment. So he says, I hope to visit you, middle of verse 24, I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings." So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. Okay, so he's saying to them, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, taking offerings. Why was he taking offerings to Jerusalem? He was taking offerings to Jerusalem from the Gentiles in Macedonia and Achaia. This is part of Asia Minor. These were Gentiles. And he says, I'm taking offerings from them to the Jewish people in Jerusalem. He says, basically, these Gentiles have profited off the fact that they came to know Christ through the Jewish people. So it only makes sense that now when the Jewish people have a need, these Gentiles are going to invest materially in response to the spiritual blessings that they've received from the Jews. Now, the reason why he's taking an offering to the saints in Jerusalem is because these are Jewish believers in Jesus living in Jerusalem who are now basically poor. And the reason they're poor is because if you were a first century Jew and you came to faith in Jesus, you were disowned by your Jewish family who did not believe that Jesus was Messiah. And when you were disowned, you were also shunned by your community and your livelihood went down the tank. Nobody would buy from you. Whatever your business was, they would shun you. And so you became destitute. And so the Jewish believers in Jerusalem had to pool their resources It is a biblical precedence for survivalism. That's what it was. And so Paul says, I'm going to bring some offerings from some Gentiles in Asia Minor and take it to these Jewish saints who are believers in Jesus because they've lost everything for the cause of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. And so it was helping them out. And it was this wonderful return of the blessing. The Jews have been of spiritual blessing to the Gentiles. The Gentiles can now be a material blessing to the Jews. And Paul says to the church at Rome, I hope to come by and see you after I deliver these offerings. Verse 30, he says, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Okay, so now Paul's got three prayer requests. Okay, here's the first one. He says in verse 31, pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea. That's his first prayer request, to be delivered from unbelieving Jews. Now, again, I I inferred a moment ago that even though the book of Romans follows the book of Acts, the events in the time of Romans actually precedes the book of Acts. Romans was written around 56, 57 A.D. The events of Acts are around 60 to 69 A.D. Paul is actually going to, what he's referring to here in Romans 15 about I'm going to Jerusalem, taking some offerings, actually happens in Acts 21. You don't need to turn there, but when he goes to Jerusalem in Acts 21 to deliver these offerings, he's in the temple area, and some Jews from Asia see Paul, and because they don't believe in Jesus as Messiah, they now have it out for Paul, and they stir up the crowds against Paul. And in Acts 21, it actually tells us that the Roman guards have to come and rescue Paul from the mob 
of the Jews from Asia who are wanting to kill him. And so we're going to learn in the book of Acts that actually Paul does get delivered from the hands of the unbelieving Jews. But again, it may not have been how he anticipated. The Romans are actually going to come and protect him and throw him in prison. But he's not going to get out of jail. He's going to end up going from Jerusalem and then he'll end up going to Rome because he appeals to Caesar because of his imprisonment. Second thing he prays there, the rest of verse 31, he says, and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there. So he says, pray that pray to be accepted by the saints in Jerusalem. He's got an offering for them. Pray that they would receive it and accept it. And then verse 32, he says, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and together with you be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. So it's number three, he says, to be able to visit the church in Rome. Now, again, he will get to Rome, but it will not be the way he, that he anticipated. He's going to end up going to Rome because he's being imprisoned in Jerusalem, and then he's, and then he's taken up to Caesarea, and he's, and he's kept there in, under house arrest for two more years, and then he finally appeals to Caesar. He will get to Rome, but he will not get there the way that he thought. Sometimes God will get us where he wants us, but it won't always be the method that we think. And just be open to that. You know, God will get us where he wants us, but it won't always be the method, maybe not even the avenue that you would have chosen or I would have chosen, but God will get you where he wants you to be. And you can trust in his sovereignty. God's going to take Paul to Rome, but it won't be to visit the church. The church members will come out and greet Paul when he comes there under arrest, but it's going to be because God wants Paul to testify to Caesar. And God wants the gospel to go forth in a way that Paul had simply not anticipated. And sometimes what God is up to, we can't always figure out in advance. But God's plans and purposes are sovereign in our lives. In chapter 16, Paul is going to give a, an extensive thanks to a list of people uh, by name here. In fact, there are 26 people that he knows by name that he addresses at the church in Rome. And he wants to appreciate them and thank them. So this will read rather quickly. But first I wanted to point out to you one lady in particular that he mentions here in verse 1. He says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Centuria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a great help to many people, including me. And by the way, most Bible scholars believe that he's mentioning her at the top of his list because she is hand-delivering this letter that he has written. So this lady mentioned here, Phoebe, is likely hand-delivering this letter to the church at Rome. And so Paul, in his list of people he's going to thank, starts with Phoebe. And he calls her a servant. Now circle that word. Some of your Bibles might say a minister. It is the Greek word diakonos. Diakonos is where we get our English word deacon. A deacon in the early church was someone who just tended to the needs of the body. Deacons in the early church were not in governing positions of leadership. I know in some churches today, deacons have leadership roles in the church, not in the early church. The pure term for deacon means minister or servant, but it was in the sense of being lay servants to people within the church. And the first group of deacons or the first group of those who were raised up in the church to help care for the needs within the church are mentioned in Acts chapter 6. You remember when the Grecian Jews were complaining to the Hebraic Jews that their widows were getting overlooked in the daily distribution of the food. 
And so the apostles said, well, okay, you, you Greeks, you've brought up the issue. Then you choose some of your own people and raise up some people who will help minister to the widows. And we don't want anybody falling through the cracks. We don't want people to get overlooked and neglected. And so the Bible says in Acts 6 that there were seven men who were originally chosen, and they had to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. And it says that they commissioned these original seven, who at the beginning were men, laid hands on them, prayed over them, and commissioned them to be the first deacons of the early church. Now, here in Romans 16.1, we have the mention of a woman. And it is important to note that even in our own church, we have a group of those who we call the care team that model after the deacons' responsibilities and qualifications within Scripture. And we have both men and women who are a part of just ministering within the body of Christ. And some of you have been wonderfully ministered to, by the men and women on our care team. And we're always sensitive that women only minister to women and men only minister to men and married couples together will minister to other couples. And it is a wonderful lay ministry that God has even raised up folks within our own congregation. Paul commends Phoebe, this wonderful woman who has been so helpful in his ministry and in ministering to other people. So Paul commends her at the top of the list. And then he commends, verse 3, greet Priscilla and Aquila. Remember them? They were mentioned back in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18. They were tent makers by trade who had to flee from Rome because of Emperor Claudius who was arresting Christians the year somewhere around 41 to 54 AD is when Claudius was really persecuting the church. Now they're back in Rome. And so Paul commends them. These are friends of his. There's a husband and wife, Priscilla the wife, Aquila the husband. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus, underline this, they risk their lives for me. I'll come back to it at the end. He says, not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you, underline worked very hard for you. Now, obviously, this is not Mary, no relation to Mary, the mother of Jesus. A lot of people were called Mary in the day. Uh, greet Andronicus and Junius, my fellow relatives who have, underlined this, been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. In other words, the apostles in particular have noted these people. He says in verse 8, Greet Ampelatius, whom I love in the Lord. Verse 9, greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stychus. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Underline that, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus. Greet Herodion, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus. He kind of loved himself, but anyway, who are in the Lord. I'm just having fun with you folks. It's a long list. Greet... Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who, underline this, work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked, underline, worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me also. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobas, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them, greet one another with a holy kiss, which is very common in the day. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Now, the reason I had you underline some of those phrases throughout that list is because I want you to note they risk their lives, 
They worked very hard. They've been in prison. They were tested and approved in Christ. They worked hard in the Lord. They worked very hard in the Lord. And I think with this, that all described me. I mean in the sense of how easy do we have it? That none of us have risked our lives for the gospel. How hard do we work for the gospel? Have we ever been in prison for the gospel? Have we been that tested and approved in Christ? And I think about the list that he commends here, and I think very challenging for all of us to think about what would be said of us. If Paul were commending us in our church, and he listed 26 people by name, what would be the phrases that would describe us? These people sacrificed a lot, even down to the point of risking their lives. And I'm challenged by how easy we have it. He says in verse 17, he ends here with warnings for the church. He says, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites by smooth talk and flattery. They deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. He warns to avoid those who, number one, cause division. That's what he says there. Watch out for those who cause division and put obstacles in your way. He says, number two, avoid those who teach false instruction. He says, look out because those that are teaching things that are contrary to the teaching you have learned, keep away from them. He says in verse, there in verse 17. And then in verse 18, he talks about avoiding those who practice deception. Through their smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. And then he ends there by being wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. I, I continue to urge you, and I apply this even to myself, don't take for granted what I say. You better search the Bible to make sure that what I'm saying to you from this pulpit is true. And I urge you to do the same for every televangelist, every preacher you listen to, every podcast, every TV evangelist you turn on. Because not everybody is teaching you what is consistent with Scripture. And you better be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil, and discern even the doctrine that is coming across the airwaves and your television screens, because not all of it is consistent with the Bible. I don't care how many books they've written. I don't care how big the church. I don't care about anything except making sure the doctrine is true and correct. And we need to be wise and discerning in these days, because even people who have great name and notoriety are not always biblically accurate. Be careful. I love verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Don't you love that? The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my relatives. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Okay, it tells us that Paul dictated this letter. And this guy, Tertius, is the one who's writing it. He says, Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. Let's all read this together out loud. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ 
according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. As you've been learning from this study in Romans, every person on earth has sinned and deserves the punishment of eternity separated from God. Jesus changed all of that, though. He came to die in your place, to give you grace, and to offer you the gift of life with Him in heaven forever. Are you ready to accept this gift? We'd love to talk with you more about it, so give us a call at 703-771-1500. That number again is 703-771-1500. We'd like to also direct you to our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Under the Grow tab, click on How to Get to Heaven to hear from Pastor Gary about this important decision. We're so excited for you. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Cornerstone Connection, you'll find them at cornerstoneconnection.cc as well, or download our mobile app to take them with you wherever you go. We'd love to meet you too, so if you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, come visit us at Cornerstone Chapel. We meet each Sunday and Wednesday to spend time in prayer and worship and studying the Bible, and we're excited to have you join us. You'll find directions on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for tuning in today for Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.